This episode of Gotta Watch is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months for free at tryexpressvpn.com slash gotta watch. That's T-R-Y expressvpn.com slash gotta watch. What we're gonna do right here is go back. A do be do Way back. Back into time. Oh yeah. Gotta watch. You gotta, gotta. What it do? You're listening to the Gotta Watch Podcast, your weekly guide to all the must-see movies and talked-about TV shows. I'm your host, Bruno, and with me this episode is my childhood friend and co-host, that's Italiano, and this is QTB's Nick. Welcome to the party, pal. Oh, yeah. Welcome to, to the party, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be here, Bruno. This is a big oh, one. Oh, man. This is this is my favorite Christmas movie, and we're going to settle this debate okay. once and for all because we're wrapping up our Holiday Hoopla series. That's right. Every month, we tackle a new theme featuring movies and television shows that you gotta watch, and this month's theme is Holiday Hoopla, and today's episode is all about the 19th 88 action holiday movie or holiday action movie, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Die Hard. That's right. Woo. I'm excited about this. You got me hyped. You got me hyped. Yeah. And you you get I'm a ready. unique advantage in this situation in that I, I was pretty sure before going into it that I had never seen the movie from top to bottom. But after I watched it, I'm now 100% sure I had never seen Die Hard before this viewing. So you're getting a, a fresh out of the box first time experience. <gasps> Hot wow. take. Wow, yeah. nice. Well, this rated R film by John McTiernan, directed by John McTiernan, stars Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, and Carl of Duty, Reginald <laughs> Vell Johnson. Yeah, buddy. Everyone's favorite <laughs> sitcom you, dad. It's true. And Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert gave the film, um, he kind of panned it when it came out and said that the deputy chief guy, um, you know, the dude, the that's Sergeant Al Powell's boss. He wasn't necessary. And it's like, are you kidding me? He was every single character in Die Hard is essential to the plot. Even yeah. Deputy uh, Deputy Chief, uh, whatever his name is. What is it? Dwayne? Deputy Chief Wayne. He's essential. He's essential. <laughs> Obviously, I know him. I yeah. mean, that's, that's why he's essential. But every episode of Gotta Watch, we throw in a tagline. One of the, we select one of the taglines that they've provided uh, for the movie. And Nick, what did you what did you end up going with here? What was your pick for this? Oh man, there's so many good options here. You know, I think I have to go with 40 stories, 12 terrorists, one cop. Oh yeah. That is that pretty much sums it up. I love the 12 terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McLean. And that's just the way he likes it. Oh <laughs> yeah. Well, well, before we get into the this whole this whole thing experience, uh -huh. it's an experience, really. Yeah, it is. We're gonna give our sponsor here. Gotta watch is proudly part of the Quit the Build podcast network. Get the latest gaming and entertainment news from Quit the Build and discover our network of podcast partners via the QTB network page only on QuitTheBuild.com. Nick, yeah, I didn't put in the show notes what I didn't give a written plot summary. What 
tell everyone what it's about. Okay, so you have, of course, the now legendary Nakatomi Plaza, right? And that's where the whole <laughs> yeah. the whole movie takes place. And we'll get into that later about why I just I love that idea for a movie of just this one <laughs> location. Yeah, I'm a simple man, Bruno. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so he is, of course, John McClane is going to see his wife, right? Who's become this big shot executive. Uh, at yes, Nak- for a Christmas party, right? We'll, pre- we'll premise mm-hmm. this. this is all, it starts off with a Christmas party. Yeah. So for those of you saying like, well, it's not a Christmas movie. The whole point of him coming out there is to attend a Christmas party at Nakatomi Plaza. You're right. Absolutely. And so he goes and, you know, there's kind of a setup in advance that they're, they've already been having some some marital strife, right? Because in particular, yeah. you know, he's a New York cop. They started out in New York, but she had to move out here um, to this new location in order to, in California, right? In order to take yeah, this LA. new job up, right? And uh, he didn't want to come along. And so he's reluctantly, you know, coming to, to meet her. And it's been a long time since they've seen each other. It was yeah. a different area of communication, right? The long distance relationship, oh. not so easy. Um, not that it's ever yeah. easy, but at the same time, yeah, he he goes in, and of course, uh, as he is going to visit this uh, uh, his 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 wife, and there's you know a little bit of a, a conflict that takes place regarding last names and that kind of thing. Of course, yeah. then we are introduced to uh, Alan Rickman in yeah. what a, what a role for this guy, right? Oh wow, Alan Rickman nearly passed up the role of Hans Gruber, which ended up being his first film role. So this is the first time Alan Rickman is on film, you know, for for a major motion picture, right? And he almost passes up Hans Gruber, which I honestly now can't think of anyone else that would do a better job of it. But uh, he had only arrived in Hollywood two days earlier and was appalled by the idea of his first role being the villain in an action film, uh. action movie. He didn't, he didn't want he didn't want that. To a degree, Rickman was right to be concerned considering his performance as Hans Gruber was so hailed that the actor had to struggle being typecast as a player of villains for much of his career. And that's very true. Most of the time you see Alan Rickman in any type of role, he's kind of like a villain or in, in the Harry Potter case, right? Like he's almost an anti-hero. Exactly. Right. right? Like he's, he's, he's still, he's still worthy of, of being a good guy, but he was not liked by any of the, the Hogwarts kids. Right. (laughs) Unless you were, unless you were a Slytherin and then he was like all about you. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I love Alan Rickman in this. I mean, him quoting everything like now I have a machine gun. (laughs) (laughs) Love that scene. I just, you know, I mean, everything that he says in uh, throughout the film is very menacing, you know, also very posh, which is that air of Hans Gruber, right? Yeah. Which if anyone was smart watching the film, you know, Hans Gruber enters with his henchmen. And I got to tell you, first of all, the henchmen, when they initially come in as a group, they are legit. I mean, nowadays it looks a little bit stereotypical, but this was the basis for future movies really to emulate. I mean, only a couple of the actors who played the German terrorists were actually German and only a couple more could speak broken German. The actors were cast for their menacing appearances rather than their nationality. So, I mean, they basically picked these guys because they look scary. Nine of the 12 terrorists were over six feet tall, uh, which is, okay. that's saying something in, in Hollywood because believe it or not, most Hollywood actors 
are quite short, mm-hmm. under six foot. It's it's a surprise for people because when you watch any type of film, you you assume kind of this level of tallness that the actor portrays. When in reality, we have no reference, right? Right? We have no reference of it's they get people who are shorter than them to act alongside them. So you know, for them to go through and kind of choose all these terrorists based on how scary they were. I mean, did you get that feeling when you first saw him? Like, oh, we don't want to mess with these guys. Uh, everybody <laughs> after the first guy he kills to get the machine gun, I would classify as scary. But that guy just looked like uh, like some like office <laughs> accountant from the 80s. Like, he was not intimidating in the slightest. I guess that works, though, because... It became a plot point that his brother was also one of the terrorists, right? And he had to yeah, go and avenge yeah. him later. Carl, the one with beautiful hair. Yeah, so fantastic <laughs> hair. There's so much fantastic hair in this movie. There really is. Yeah. The hair was on point. And I got to say, like, other than Bonnie Bedelia, who uh, plays John McClane's wife. And if you didn't know this, uh, Nick, did you know what Bonnie Bedelia's full name is? No, what is it? It's Bonnie Bedelia Culkin. Oh. Does that ring a bell? Is this yeah. a cool Yeah, she is the aunt of Macaulay, Kiernan, and Rory Culkin. So there you go. I mean, if if you needed more connection to a Christmas movie, pretty much Kevin McAllister's aunt is out in California. I mean, she had an experience too. This you don't want to be anywhere near the the Culkins when it comes to uh, Christmas. That's right. They've got they've got it locked down, man. At least they did in the '90s or in the late '80s. Well, and that's that's this is here. Here's the interesting thing, right? Bruce Willis was cast as uh, John McClane, but there were a lot of other people in line for that. He was mainly known for playing a comedic role on TV's Moonlighting at the time. So when first trailers for Die Hard kind of came came about and people started seeing him, everyone laughed. They all laughed at Bruce Willis because they thought, it's well, it must be a comedy, right? And for a brief time, they removed Bruce Willis's face from all of the posters to prevent expectations of it being a comedy. They didn't want anyone to think it was a comedy. Um, and so if you see like the the very beginning posters, really all you see is the Nakatomi building for the poster, which is that building is actually the uh, headquarters of 20th Century Fox. That was essentially the, the production company for it, right? Bruce Willis received an unheard of then, it was unheard of, $5 million dollars to be in die to be in die hard and it had to be approved by the fox president rupert murdoch so this is, was quite the feat of a movie yeah. especially to have it undertake in a huge building um over the course of one night i think there are so many things within this movie that really make it realistic but i i don't think it's something that we should discount and say you know really focus arguing over is it a is it a christmas movie is it not 28th Century Fox the the production company basically came out and said it's the greatest Christmas story ever told. There you go. And you know, so when they did the the 30th anniversary of the film's release, they kind of added a new trailer in there and that officially ends the debate yep. of whether or not it is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie officially recognized by the production company. But the interesting thing I think is the fact that this 
this movie was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in 2017 for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. That's a rare honor. Yeah, Yeah. that really is. I mean, you know, so if you haven't seen Die Hard and you're like my wife who falls asleep, because I watch it every Christmas Eve, Nick, every Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, one of the two, I watch Die Hard and my wife always falls asleep and she always falls asleep about 20 minutes into the film. So from her perspective, it's just about this guy, Bruce Willis, that comes out to California to go to his wife's Christmas party. He makes fists with his toes and that's it. And roll credits. That's it. <laughs> roll credits. Die hard. She wakes up. She wakes up. There's papers falling from the sky. And yeah. she's like, oh, isn't that nice? And they ride off into the sunset with Argyle in. in uh, Free and Argyle. <laughs> driving them through. <laughs> First of all, my wife was like, wait a minute. They named they named him after a sweater? After a textile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Argyle. Yeah. Look, yep. it, look, the 80s and 90s were a different time, man. You could yeah. have those code names, you know? But in all seriousness, like the character of Argyle, I, I, I love movies that do such a great job with establishing just great supporting cast, uh, especially mm. in a movie like this, because even though oh, yeah. he, he really is relegated to just kind of be a bit character, right? A little bit of comic mm-hmm. relief, but also serves a functional purpose in the resolution of the plot. I just, I, I found it so funny, especially at the end of the movie when after everything had, he, had happened and he said, if this is what Christmas is like, <laughs> then I have got to see New Year's. <laughs> right, and that's the thing. I think, I think you know, you could make the argument that this, this isn't a Christmas movie in terms of if they had just set the premise of him going there, he's going there because it's Christmas time, right? Yeah. But they never let up on that fact of it being Christmas. There were constantly jingle bells, um, going off in the background as like, you know, sound, soundscapes and whatnot to fill the time between them. There were tons of instances where characters were singing Christmas songs, talking about getting home for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. So I can see your point if you're like, you know, they only introduced it once, but it, it had Christmas through from start to finish. From, from the very first song that was essentially playing on the radio when Argyle was like, this this is Christmas music, yeah. right? Run DMC <laughs> and to the final, final song. It's all Christmas. It's all in there. And you're right. The, the supporting characters within the, the movie are, are great. One of my favorite supporting characters is the very much dislikable Ellis. You know, the guy with the punchable face, right? Yeah. Hans, booby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Hart Boschner's uh, line, and Hans Booby was ad-libbed in uh, they kept Alan Rickman's <laughs> quizzical reaction because he was like, what? Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. Which is so funny because my wife, who, like I said, oh, has only seen the beginning part. If you if you watch the beginning of the movie, Ellis is hitting on Bonnie Bedelia's character, even though she's married. Uh, so he's kind of this sleazeball. And she's like, what happens to him? I'm like, oh, you don't know what happens to him? Yeah. <laughs> For me, I think that the the supporting characters are all play, even though you might not know who they are, right? Right. Like you don't know on first viewing, like who's Carl or who's who's Franco or any of the other uh, terrorists that they're mentioned. But then as you go on, you're like, oh, there's that dude with the curly hair, right? Right. <laughs> 
Well, and that's one of the really cool aspects of this movie, Bruno, and I think what really made me enjoy it the most is, it, you're right, it's relatable, it's realistic, but I, the way it's compartmentalized and broken down, because what other action movie, right, literally sets the stakes for this is how many people you have to take mm. out to beat yeah. the bad guy, right? Yeah, and by, that's true. By yep. setting that number, right, because he is able to uh, figure out, deduce, right, using his 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 cop you know skills and investigative skills, yeah. figure out how many people are inside this building, these terrorists, right? So as he's killing them, he's notching them off, and eventually he tells, you know, Sergeant Al Powell, like, hey, you know, there's there's 10 left, I got two of them, that kind of thing. He yeah. gives these updates. Yeah. I, I think it adds a really cool, almost like video game style approach to it of yeah. like, here's your objective, right? You've got to take yep. out X number of terrorists, because I think there's too many action movies out there where you're up against some kind of villain that has this seemingly endless army of, of henchmen at their disposal, right? Or, oh, yeah. or the movie changes locations so many off uh, times that it can be kind of exhausting to keep up with for someone that just wants to watch, you know, a popcorn action movie where yeah. by just keeping it in one place, it's going to, everything is going to take place in the skyscraper. Um, yep. And here you know, there's a finite number of dudes. And like you said, they've got names. You kind of learn a little bit of their backstory uh, in places as you go, right? One is uh, trying Definitely. to avenge his brother and that changes like he gets more aggressive and reckless because yeah. he wants to take this guy out. I think it just, it just makes every encounter that, that we have along the way make it that much more meaningful. I loved it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of the most solid and believable action movies, I think. Maybe aside from, like, two scenes where Bruce Willis falls like a certified jump master. You know, he's out there, like, jumping off the side of a building. Um, yeah. But there's also that scene where he falls down a shaft. That was actually a mistake by the stuntman. Um, he was supposed to oh, grab no. the first... The, yeah, was so he they okay? kept that in. Yeah, he was fine. <laughs> he slipped and continued to fall, but the shot was used anyway, uh. and they edited it together with one where um, McLean grabs the next vent down as he falls. Okay. Um, so, you know, and that really is Bruce Willis riding on top of the elevator. So this, I think this really was a change for, for John or for uh, Bruce Willis as well. You know, this, this character of John McClane could have gone to, it could have gone to Clint Eastwood. He almost played the role of John McClane. Clint Eastwood was a, originally owned the rights to the novel, which this is based on called Nothing Lasts Forever. And he planned to start in the film around the early 1980s, but they 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 pushed it off, you know, didn't didn't really end up doing it. And then Bruce Willis ended up taking the role of John McClane after it had been turned down by Robert De Niro. Okay. So like, you know, there were other actors involved that they wanted for 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 John McClane. You know, they I don't think Bruce Willis was their first choice, right? He cemented himself as John McClane. He he even mentions he says this is always been his favorite role is being John McClane. I mean, he went through 17 different undershirts with various stages of degradation during the movie. (laughs) And that, yeah, so they had like, okay, here's, you know, like almost like, you know, like you said, like a video game, right? Where, you know, he starts off in this, he's got essentially a white white beater on. It, It just slowly deteriorates to the film. Well, Bruce Willis donated one of the undershirts to the Smithsonian Museum in 2007. So again, even more cultural significance there. It's one of those films, I think, that despite the debate of whether or not it is a Christmas film, it's it's an action film that still holds up to this day. It is quite believable. I'm not saying, you know, there's a lot of people that'll that'll say like Die Hard is the greatest action film that there ever was. And I, I don't think that is 
that's necessarily true. I think we have seen enough Fast and Furious movies now to know that we're never really going to top driving a car out of one building into another building. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got to go like, to space to try, and even then, it's uh, you know, it's it's tough to it's tough to beat. You're right. If we look back on this as as an actual realistic movie, it, it definitely holds up. Now, one of the things I wanted to mention: the uh, firearms used in the film, as in most action films, are real firearms modified to function with blanks. So, mm. there's been a lot of controversy uh, recently in the in the movie world regarding uh, a recent accident. I don't yeah. know what you want to call it negligence right. maybe um regarding uh, alec baldwin mm -hmm. everyone says you know for you know I, I hear this argument all the time of oh they should have used fake guns that fake guns don't exist like <laughs> hollywood doesn't have like fake guns because it's much easier to use a real gun and either a not load it or b load it with with blanks right that's the great thing about movies when we watch movies and we see things like practical effects or anything Thing. You know, same goes with magic. Sometimes the most obvious answer is the right answer, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. As, as, especially yourself as somebody who dabbled in the art of magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever the most likely outcome is, right? The, the most easily explainable yeah. one. It's the most likely. It most likely is going to be the outcome, right? You're never going to go for yeah. something crazy. And yeah, I mean, most of these movies, well, not all of these movies, have a designated person on set that's called an armorer, that their yeah. whole job is to oversee mm -hmm. firearms and ensure, like, hey, if I'm passing a gun off to somebody like it's not it doesn't have anything in there that can hurt somebody it's a deep conversation right especially yeah. with what happened with, with Alec Baldwin and a lot of movie studios are coming out and saying well now we're gonna we're gonna shift you know in, in the moment and say yeah. we're gonna start using you know a fake firearm that we'll edit in yeah. post I mean we have that luxury nowadays but action yeah, movies now, of yore yeah, that wasn't no, happening they, yeah and honestly the the fake guns right the fake guns that they they might use or whatever you can't use there's it's it's like a, any type of scary movie. There's three different types of blades that they use in a scary movie. There's the real blade that you see in close-up shots. That is an actual knife. There is a, a, a depressing blade that's one meant to be used in action sequences that goes, that essentially depresses into the hilt of the knife. Yeah, just right? like Knives Out, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> there's the like a rubber knife that is meant when, when characters are running so that they don't accidentally fall and hurt themselves. So, you know, these types of props exist in things like, you know, knives. Back then, these were, like I said, they're real guns. And most of the time that you see them, they are real guns. Whether or not they have to add in some, some exaggerated realism with the muzzle flashes like they did in Die Hard. You know, so if you're watching Die Hard and you're like, man, look at these like muzzle flashes of these guns. You know, they added, uh, they had a special effects coordinator that basically made the blanks more powerful and and louder so that they would be more realistic and they were deafening. I mean, to mm. the point that that Bruce Willis actually became partially deaf in his left ear wow. when he's crawling underneath of the big long table yeah. in Takagi's like boardroom, right? And the terrorist is on top and he's like, you've run out of table, pal. 
now. <laughs> and then he sits there and fires through the thing right next to his face. That scene caused him to go partially deaf because of the blanks and stuff that they were using. So, you know, despite the fact that, you know, they were non-lethal rounds or in, and non-rounds at all, they were blanks, right? It still was to the point that it, that it caused problems. So I think that that's something we're going to see in see change in movies. I think we're going to see more post visual effects yeah. editing mm-hmm. towards this thing. I think The Rock even already came out and kind of said like, I'm not going to do any more movies that have real guns in them. Yeah. And it's like, you know, well, there you go. If you got one of the biggest action stars of today saying, no, I'm not going to do it, then uh, you might have to change your approach. Right. Nick, I got to tell you, okay, I, I didn't think we would be able to cover a lot of the stuff that I had on here. But man, if we didn't do it. I mean, this is your this is your movie and I've been letting you take the driver's seat, man, because you know, you always told me about like how, how much this movie means to you, right? So I feel yeah. like I'm just along for the ride. But I do want to hit one point that you brought up here that I think is is really interesting, right? Because the whole the whole motivation of Hans Gruber in the movie is that he is ultimately we learn he's going after these bonds, right? That are being held in in within Nakatomi Plaza, which is an international company or corporation, by the way. We find out later that initially it, it, it kind of comes across that he is, well, I'm one of these freedom fighters, right? And I'm here because I'm yeah. I'm, I'm fighting the man, right? Fighting capitalism. Yeah. Free, free all. And that's one of the things he says to the police, right? right? He's like, hey, free, free the, the you know, the Asian dawn. <laughs> Oh, he starts he's naming like, off groups that like, he's like, yeah. yeah, I don't even know who they are. Like, it's he's just trying to buy time. That was funny. Yeah, yeah the FBI negotiator starts like, oh, I got to make some calls. <laughs> yeah, so afterwards we find out that he had actually been like ejected from that group that he was in because of his extremism, right? Mm. They, they, had, they had disavowed themselves from him yeah. because you know, what he was doing did not represent them. And of course, once he immediately killed uh, Mr. Takagi and then uh, we find out later that, yeah, he was just doing this all as, as a heist to just secure some bonds um, and make some, well, if buck. you were, if you were, yeah, and if you were, if you were clever enough enough to pick up on the beginning part of the movie, you could have known, you would have known that that was a lie, right? Yeah. Because when he goes into the boardroom, as he's going into the boardroom with him, he says, "You know, that's a nice suit. I've got two myself." Ah. You know, and why would if you were a freedom fighter who who essentially is he he quote he said you know, attacking them because of their history of greed, right? The Nakatomi um, Corporation's history of greed. That's why he's he's doing this. Right. You know, you would have realized, well, if you had, if you were trying to take down corporate greed, you probably wouldn't get one of the most expensive suits that's available, not just one, but two. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Definitely. But yeah, it's an interesting situation, right? Because, the, and the point that was made here is, why would Nakatomi Nakatomi Plaza have access to all of these these bonds, right? Maybe they were yeah. trying to get uh, like favorable tax treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Because they would have had to have been issued much earlier. And yeah. in the eighties, like bonds, like this is just a kind of pop culture knowledge. They were mostly like uh, they were panned as a way to invest money, right? There was a lot of better ways yeah. to invest. So why would Nakatomi?
Naomi Corporation just have access, not only have all this crazy amount of money inside a maximum security vault, right? There's like seven seven different yeah. doors that have to be uh, breached before you can get <laughs> in there. One of which yep. requires the, the, the power to the city to be cut, <laughs> yes. by the way, which is, yep. I, I guess, smart. I don't know. There is a question of like, why was that money there besides the, the plot convenience of it, right? Was there a logical yeah. explanation? I don't think there was one. No, I it, they didn't really say why they had all these bearer bonds. And for those of you who don't know, a bearer bond is basically a piece of paper that is a bond that's uh, that can be held, uh, upheld with the U.S. government. The government has to honor these regardless of who's holding them. So essentially, the, the holder or bearer of the bond gets the money. And it's almost like it's almost like uh, cryptocurrency, right? Like modern cryptocurrency is often like these old bearer bonds where it was like, we're going to put money into this bond that is worth this much. And not, not just like any money, but like $640 million <laughs> yeah. worth of bonds. In 80s like, money. Yeah, in 80s money. What's the what's what's the rate on that today? 1.6 billion. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. wow. Wow is correct. That is a lot of just money. Sitting that was there. A lot. Yeah. Just sitting there for the taking. And so, I mean, I guess it's easier than than trying to steal from a bank. And, like, and Banks way... wouldn't have that. They wouldn't be that <laughs> dumb. I mean, I, 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 I guess you can make the excuse of just because a corporation is big doesn't mean that they make smart decisions, right? Or there could have oh, been yeah. some shady dealings in there, right? Where they, they had a reason oh, why they'd want to hold on to, to bonds. But it was just an, an interesting plot point. The other thing that I want to bring up, and I think this is such a, a critically important part that makes this movie work. I don't think it would have done as well without it is, of course, Reginald Vell Johnson, right? Oh, as Sergeant Al Pal, because love him. he is such a grounding force in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Because the the conversations that he has with John McClane over the course of the movie, right? And the way that he slowly gets roped into it more and more and more to the point that now he's having personal conversations with John McClane about his family and that kind of thing, yeah. where they're getting buddy-buddy over an open mm-hmm. radio, by the way, that everybody can yeah. hear. <laughs> and just being able to have that resolution at the end where they got to see each other, you know, when, when, when he's exiting oh. the building and it's just to get yep. that, that smile and that nod and it's just, man, I, you, you want to talk about wholesome endings. I, I, I'm going to tell you something, Bruno. This is my my hot take. I, I don't understand why Reginald Vell Johnson didn't get more roles. I get it. It looks like he was typecast as just like the, the yeah. cop because he was uh, also cast as a cop in, in Ghostbusters and also, of course, he was a cop as a career in Family Matters. But yeah. I just... Oh, Winslow. I, I <laughs> I am never disappointed by his performances, but I just can't think of a no. whole lot else that he did besides this this typecast role. I want more Reggie. Well, I I do too, and apparently he doesn't want any more Twinkies because you know he came back. He kind of had a in the making feature making of featurette for Die Hard yeah. with a Vengeance. Reginald Val Johnson said that after his appearances in the first two Die Hard films, he would be frequently teased and joked at by friends and people on the street for his character's obsession with Twinkies. Yeah. Some people going so far as to buy Twinkies and throwing them into his car while he was inside and saying things like, oh, we knew you wanted some of those. <laughs> <laughs> so the man the man doesn't need any more, any more Twinkies, but we do need some more uh, Reginald Val Johnson. You're right. Carl Winslow, I think if you grew up in the 90s, just having him, you know, yeah. in, in 
your life <laughs> every Friday night on the Friday night lineup of TGIF, right? I love the relationship he has with John McClane. It's just, you know, you're you're waiting for more connections between them and him just kind of deep diving in deeper and, and becoming closer to him as, as the time goes on, you know, when they finally embrace at the end and then Reginald Vell Johnson's character saves the day for those of you who haven't seen it. And I'm sorry, but one of the terrorists decides he's not dead and, and wants to shoot John McClane at the very end. And Reginald Vell Johnson's like, ah, not on my watch and pulls out the, yeah. the Colt. And he's like, boom, blows him away. So great. He gets his redemption in the end. It's just, you know, Die Hard is one of those movies that I I love from an action film. I feel like you can watch it anytime. Um, and there are so few actiony type movies out there, Christmas film wise, right? We've got we've got a million and a half Hallmark movies. Oh yeah, right. Of like, you know, this I'm going back to my my small hometown, and I'm going to meet a guy who's going to be like the local, you know, just average Joe. And he's going to teach me about small town life. And we're going to get married and live in Christmasville for the rest of our lives. Like that has been redone over and over and over again. And to give guys, <laughs> to give the boys just something. one movie, something. Oh my god! we want. And they want to take it away from us. That's Nick? right. Unacceptable. Rid- Unacceptable. Ridiculous. <laughs> That's right. Well, if you like this movie, obviously check out the rest of the Die Hard series. Um, especially the second one, which is uh, essentially a a direct follow-up, and then Die Hard with a Vengeance with Samuel L. Jackson. If you couldn't have Reginald Vell Johnson, Samuel L. Jackson in the third one is pretty awesome, and you even get a connection to the first film in the third film. So, really great series. I mean, it's, you know what you're getting with uh, John McClane, you know, the average guy who doesn't always, you know, pull through uh, in the best way. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come out unscathed. The man has been hurt in every movie, <laughs> but he still comes out alive. That is John McClain, America. And before we get to <laughs> these final ratings, today's podcast was sponsored in part by Pearson Limited for marketing media that works and bespoke design to power your business. Visit PierceUnlimited.com. And I got to tell you, on the PierceUnlimited.com, there's a lot of cool things on there. Um, offerings and uh, services where you can get uh, help with your podcast or or maybe your next content project. Pierce Unlimited has you covered with motion graphics, graphic design, video production, social media marketing, and podcast production. So awesome stuff over there. Thanks so much to them for all that they do. Nick, mm-hmm. what is your rating for this? So I, I went with a solid nine. And I'm going to tell you, for me, that's high praise because yeah. I'm not usually much of an action movie guy. But like I said, it was it was just presented and broken down in a way that made it really fun to watch. I did think that the whole premise of like, oh, this is a grounded cop from New York that got, you know, put in the wrong place in the wrong time and just did what he had to to survive. Yeah. I think there are moments where that becomes less than believable. 
um, especially, you know, just, wow. So, I mean, well, so many parts where it's just like, no one would survive that, but yeah, you, you, you mentioned the, the kind of the base jumping scene, right? I think it's, it's been yeah. debunked time and time again about, you know, tying, uh, a, a fire hose around yeah. your waist yeah. will not work when you will try to jump work. off a, sky, a skyscraper. But like I told you, he was a certified jump master, so he knew. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, he had he had the experience, but like I, I don't know, it's just I I don't think there was enough backstory for John McClane as a character to to really justify the way he was able to scramble into action and just assess the situation. It's like what kind of stuff was he doing in New York that he was able to just like adapt and survive in such a robust way? Like it had to you yeah. know really be someone who's intense. And I think as the as the Die Hard movies go on, right, because that 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 character of John McClane is kind of coded into action movie history. Mm-hmm. I think he becomes yeah. it becomes kind of a caricature of itself, right? Where the, the longer that yeah. series goes on, the more it's like, oh, I have to go back to the iconic, you know, uh, catchphrases like yippee Kaye and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the future. I'm really talking about this movie. All in all, though, my my gripes are minor. The action was great. I mean, fantastic stunt scene. The explosions, my God, the explosions. Yep. <laughs> And just uh, every every second of it was lean forward in your seat and just drink it all in. So I gave it a I gave it a nine. I am right there with you. I gave it a solid nine. I think that you know I mean I I don't know what my criteria is right now for a ten out of a ten movie. But you know as we discussed, there are there are some plot plot points within the movie that don't necessarily get resolved, and we don't get as much information uh, surrounding them as I would have liked. I mean. You can go through and watch a lot of the uh, the deleted scenes and discover how John McClane was able to to deduce so many things. I mean, there's a deleted scene regarding Tag Heuer watches, and that's one of the things he notices on Hans Gruber when they have that first encounter. You know, like he's like, oh, it's, it's the watch and whatever. So there's, you know, even though this is the longest runtime for any Die Hard movie, it, it, it I feel like there could be more, right? I feel like there could be more into this and. I just I, I really enjoy it. Like I said, it's on the the list of movies that I watch every year. IMDb gave it an eight point two five. That's pretty good for IMDb. Yeah. Um, with a with a total score of eight point seven five and a and a total of twenty six point two five yeah. out of thirty. That is pretty good. We that is close to. I mean, it's second. You know, I gotta call out IMDb on this, and I, I know it's just it's just it's. <laughs> just consisting of different people reviewing it's not it's not their fault directly but merry <laughs> yeah. christmas mr bean got a nine bruno it got <laughs> a nine and i'm not knocking it we had fun with that episode but to give die hard one of the most iconic action movies of all time an 8.25 when you gave a right. single episode of mr bean a nine we right. got to talk we gotta talk yeah <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> if you want to rate along with this, then be sure to check out our back catalog of Gotta Watch episodes. We are finishing up season one with this episode, Die Hard, and we will be back uh, before you know it. I think we're going to be back in February, or if you're listening to this sometime in the future, we'll probably already have the episodes up. Wow. So thank you so much for being a part of our community. Nick, tell them about those Patreon supporters. Well, Bruno, 
they include Nick Nick Epic Capture Productions, The Dudist Monk, Indie Gamiacs, Alan Abadessa, and Mr. Grove Gaming. Listen, our Patreon site, and it's patreon.com slash quitthebuild. It is far and away the best way to directly support us and the content that we are producing for this network. Um, and if you join us there at the, at the $5 per month tier, you are going to get a shout out on each and every new episode of Quit the Build and of Gotta Watch that we record while you are subscribed. There's also other great perks. You get a special Discord role in a fancy QTB purple color Ooh, for your title. Nice. Yeah, you get uh, early access to Gotta Watch episodes when they do air. Um, and you get them with less ads as well. So uh, so many perks. But of course, the highlight, right, the feature of our Patreon is that nostalgia vault that we're putting oh, out yeah. every month that our listeners get to help decide in, in Patreon itself, right? We do a post, we get their input. Yeah. So if there's something you want to hear us talk about, we talk about all sorts of things from the past. It's a, it's a nonstop blast of the past of 90s content. Of course, uh, we're, this month we're going to be talking about uh, our favorite holiday specials. And that transcends decade Ooh. because most of the oh, ones yeah. we were watching in the 90s were ones that were made in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah, let's just throw right? that, that theme out. It's, it's all of them. Um, but yeah, you know, you can be part of that conversation. It's a lot of fun. And like I said, we appreciate the support so much. Definitely be sure to check out quitthebuild.com. You, we have, I've been doing a lot of stuff trying to build up the website. We've got a great network page where you can see different types of content. If you're into video game news, be sure to check out Quit the Build. One Hour, One Decision has you covered on all those amazing Game Pass and not so amazing Game Pass games that you can play. Uh, Double T DQ has you covered when it comes to wrestling news. And we even have Kung Fu Penguin over there yeah, hitting us up with awesome Fortnite follies on Twitch. Yeah. And we even have some music by Beat It that you can listen to. We are really growing our community and you guys can be a part of it. Just head on over to quitthebuild.com slash community. And there we have all of our social links. Twi uh, whoa. TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and you can even connect with this on Discord. Um, as well as we have a merch page that's got some really great stuff. We've got a Quit the Build Christmas sweater. Oh, yeah. Uh, T-shirt. I mean, that's awesome stuff Ship there. It. And yeah. we recently re redid the About page. So if you're wondering what Quit the Build is all about, head on over to quitthebuild.com. Check it out. Tell us what you think. Be sure to tune in next time when we're going to have another season of Gotta Watch coming up in February. But until then, for Nick, I'm Bruno. And for Bruno, I'm Nick. Peace out. What it do. Support for this podcast comes from viewers like you. Visit patreon.com slash quit the build to join the QTB crew today. Oh.